As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We're all a little bit giddy sat here now because we are in New Century in Manchester where our live show is going to be held in September. We'll get to all the details in just a moment. I'm sat alongside in the venue, Kyle Anker and Laurie Whitwell. And we've had a bit of a nosy round this morning, Laurie, haven't we? It's an impressive venue, isn't it? Uh, we got up on stage. It's quite a big space. So hopefully people buy tickets and come and fill it all up. Um, there's a bar at the back if you need it. Me and Carl were having a little uh, sort of debate about whether to keep it open throughout the show or not. Um, we'll, we'll see on the night what we reckon. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll uh, also have a word about what cocktails we need to serve. You know, a special lorry uh, themed drink will go down quite sweetly, I think. Yeah, we need to go and grab one of the barmen after this and discuss exactly what we're going to be serving on the night. It's September the 4th, Monday, September the 4th. That's the new date for our Manchester Live show. And we're also even more excited to say that there'll be a second date on September the 5th in London at Leicester Square Theatre. We'll have all the details about those tickets on our social media. It should be up there by now, I would imagine. And have a look for that. Very, very exciting, this, Carl. In your hometown and your new town. I know. I love it. It's great. I'm so excited. I get to have a great chat with both forms of cab drivers, the gobby Manchester ones and the really surly <laughs> London ones. <laughs> Brilliant this, though, isn't it, Larry? We're all like, quite giddy here, aren't we? We can't stop smiling. I was buzzing when we came in because it's, it's, it's a, such an iconic venue, actually. When, when you get in there, the, the, the floorboards are still the same for when they built it. So you've had Jimi Hendrix play here, Bee Gees, Tina Turner. I started doing a bit of Proud Mary, didn't I, on stage? <laughs> trying to fill the stage a little bit. So we're kind of figuring out exactly what it's going to be like on, when we get there on the night. But we hope it's going to be really special for people. We're going to give it extra, not pizzazz. I think that's not really us, is it? But a bit of extra something. Oh, a bit of extra... Pizzazz. Um, say pizzazz. We're going to give you some pizzazz. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were signing him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, on deadline day. Um, and so, yeah, we, we really hope we've been buzzing by people's reaction to it. Um, you know, people have told us that they've, they're excited for it. And yeah, we apologize about the delay to it, but we make, we'll make sure that that, that delay is, is well served. Yeah, we're actually supposed to be doing the show here tonight, uh, May the 17th. But the new date is September the 4th here at New Century in Manchester and September the 5th 
Leicester Square Theatre in London. Go and have a look at those tickets. Get involved. We'd absolutely love to see you there. Right, we also need to introduce another one. Uh, we've not quite sorted out our Barcelona show just yet, but Andy Mitten is over there. Hi, Andy. You're not here with us to get excited, but you're smiling at me still. Well, I was supposed to be there, wasn't I? I was supposed to be watching Manchester United against Juventus in the Europa League semi-final tomorrow night, but work has taken me in a different direction. I'm going to be in Blackpool tomorrow, mate. That's the absolute glamour. But where you're all sat, my mum tells me in the 60s it was a really cool place to go out in Manchester. And the CIS building, which it forms part of, was the tallest skyscraper in Europe when it was built at the time. Obviously, with you three sat there, it ain't going to be cool anytime soon. <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to the show. Absolutely. There's a fact about the venue upstairs that I'm not going to say now. But on the night, I'll reveal it. And you'll be extremely excited, Andy. Love it. Love a good skyline. <laughs> right, let's get into the podcast then. Of course, we need to talk about the latest on the potential sale of Manchester United because lots have happened with that. We've also got a special cricket guest coming up later on in the show, which will be interesting. But he's a big Manchester United fan and we're told he's a listener to Talk of the Devils as well. We'll see how true that is in a little while. Um, we also need to preview the game, of course, at Andy's favourite Premier League ground, Bournemouth this weekend too. Uh, but let's get into the sale. Laurie, you've been up all night writing about this, haven't you? Yeah, I don't know if anyone's uh, followed my Instagram. I posted a picture of my cat, Ron, uh, on my lap. Uh, that was from like half 11 last night um, after more news had broken about um, a, a Qatari bid, Sheikh Jassim, 11th hour. I mean, I, I kind of wonder how many more 11th hours we're going to get, you know, sort of flash forward to 2025. And is it the, is it the 12th, 13th, 17th hour bid? Uh, it's, a, it's been a torturous process, but the, the serious point is that um, you know there, this is a riposte, I suppose, from Sheikh Jassim's team um, to the news that we've been hearing as well. We've done a, an article this morning on on that kind of theme that Sir Jim Ratcliffe was confident about his bid being successful and the nuances of that in terms of you know Joel and Avram being able to potentially stay uh, and Sir Jim Ratcliffe having you know fifty one percent, how that would actually break down. But there's some specific details that we've put in the piece about why. He is confident and what that shows or how he's showing his confidence rather. So, um, you know, they actually hadn't heard back officially from Rain, the group handling this sale, uh, Sheikh Jassim's team. But even so, they've gone and put another bid in, which kind of indicates that they had been hearing the same things as us. Um, have they, you know, gone direct to the Glazers? That's what one source uh, suggested might have happened. Um, but also, I think they can read the tea leaves, and if they've not heard back after two weeks from their third bid, then do they need to up it? Uh, we'll see what comes of it. There's still, you know, dispute behind the scenes about exactly what's going on, uh, which kind of sounds disharmonious. Um, it, it's kind of a weird thing to to, to be hearing when you're, you're hearing sort of rival briefs going on, inaccuracies being accused of each other. It, but I mean, ultimately, is that negotiation tactic? Is it all going to come out in the rub? I, I think. You know, I don't want to count my chickens too soon, but I think that light is nearing the end of this tunnel. Light at the end of the tunnel sounds like good news, Carl. Hopefully, or at least more clarifying news. This is getting bizarre. Laura keeps saying, you know, fine. It's the third final bid. It depends. So, so someone we spoke to that's connected to Sheikh Jasmine's bid last night said, I said, is it the final bid? And they said, uh, we will uh, see depending on the feedback, which I don't know, didn't sound like a final bid. So I it don't know. Like me when I'm handing in my drafts to my editor, like <laughs> version one, version one X final, version two, they're on this date and date and like constantly getting the draft and the redraft. I have no idea how you keep final these pieces at 11.30. God bless you. <laughs> Even the cat's giving him grief now. Oh. <laughs> 
Andy, in terms of this situation, I mean, I think Manchester United fans will be relieved to know what the future is, whatever that looks like, just because this this period of uncertainty is not great for anyone, not least the club and, and manager Eric Ten Hag with his plans for the summer. What do you understand to be the latest as well? Because the one thing in the last 24 hours that has happened is that the claim and counterclaim has gone even more intense, which I didn't think was quite possible. I think it needs to be sorted out because it's gone on for too long and we're up to round three, four bidding. What if that becomes round 24, round 25? And the Glazers can control that. I think the whole thing is shabby. I think it's greedy. I think the Glazers are not thinking about the future of Manchester United, but about themselves. And I don't like what is happening. It needs to be resolved. I said on the podcast two weeks ago that Ineos, which is part of the, the Jim Radcliffe bid, were, were very confident. I've not been told anything to go against that. Um, both sides are obviously uh, signed non-disclosure agreements, but the, you are getting leaks, you are getting briefs. There's a good summation of it by Laurie on The Athletic. The bottom line is the longer this goes on, the more uncertain it makes for Manchester United at a crucial time of the year with regards to recruitment, with regards to what happens next year. The people who work at the club, they want it sorted out as well. They can't come out publicly like we can and say that this is becoming a bit of a joke and needs to be sorted out. The fans want it sorted out and it needs to be sorted out because otherwise, it's all right people saying business as usual. The people saying that, they don't really know if it is business as usual. There are players and staff at the club who need their contracts sorting out. Players have been identified to be signed for Manchester United next year. How can you go into a negotiation room when you don't know how much you've got to negotiate with? It is an issue and it needs sorting. Yeah, I think we all agree with that, no doubt at all. We've got some concerned listeners as well, actually. Of course, we launched our email the other week and we want you to get involved with your questions as always. The address is devilspod at theathletic.com uh, if you can do that. And that's exactly what Rick did. He's not the only one who's asked this question, Andy, either. But he said, Andy has mentioned a couple of times that Ten Hag might consider leaving if the ownership situation isn't sorted quickly. Is that just your opinion, Andy? Or has that come from a source within the club or close to Ten Hag? I speak to lots of people and his stock is very high in European football. I know of at least two top clubs who looked at him before Manchester United made the move. I don't think he's damaged that stock this season at all at Manchester United, doing a job in pretty difficult circumstances. And as we speak, providing we can get fourth, I think you'd have to say doing that job well. If we don't get fourth, then I'll revise that statement. But the cup has come in and obviously there'll be a second cup on June the 3rd as well. He's been very clear-minded throughout his entire career about what he wants. He will absolutely compromise, but he didn't join Manchester United because he was a Manchester United fan as a kid. He joined the club like Louis van Gaal because he could thought he could bring in top, top players and do a very good job at a very, very big club. The longer this goes on, the more that becomes uncertain for him. To the point that he'll just think, you know what? This ain't what I was sold. This ain't the dream that I've been sold. So I don't think he's going anywhere imminently. I think he's completely committed to Manchester United, but he ain't going to hang around if this starts going on and on and on because there are, there are other clubs who absolutely like the look of him. Laurie, what happens next? I mean, yeah, I don't know exactly because we've had so many of these markers where it's felt like it's going to be something pivotal. I do seriously think that this has to be surely their, their final 
offer of it, take it or leave it from Sheikh Jassim's team. That being said, they hadn't heard back from Rain uh, prior to that point officially. So I guess the, the next step is Rain, the Glazers should inform both parties and also potentially the minority investment, you know, the finances, the, the, the US private, private equity firms that have been in talks, what their decision is. Um, but we are, you know, the, the reason for Sir Jim Ratcliffe's sort of confidence um, is that we, we hear, you know, that he's making moves now, you know, to, to finalise the financial aspects of his takeover, which obviously would need um, banks' involvement. You know, it's not like Ineos are buying the club outright and, and wiping the debt. You know, that debt is, is going to stay on the club and, and there's going to be um, work, working with banks to get the finance to actually buy the club as well. So that is, I suppose, the next steps you'd expect. But as Andy said earlier, it's it's in the Glazers' gift. You know, they are the ones trying to sell this thing. It's like if you have a house and you get, you know, have an open day and people look round and, and people say, actually, yeah, I'll bid this. And then you go, okay, well, I might just sit on my house, you know, sit, sit in my house a little bit longer. But it'll eventually start to annoy people. I mean, it has already really um, to, to kind of keep saying, no, can you give us a bit more, actually? Put, put another five grand on top, actually. And obviously it's, it's a lot more zeros in this case, but it's a similar kind of concept. Glory. We, when this first happened, we were on the assumption this will all be wrapped up by March. Do you think United's weird wobble earlier in the spring where top four went from being almost certainty to hmm, maybe not quite sure you might end up in the Europa League, you think that may have caused the Glazers to sit and wait? Well, I suppose, well, as in if, if they are in the Champions League, the, the value of the club is worth more, yeah. theoretically. We, we did a piece last week where um, both bids were saying that they weren't contingent on Champions League qualification. So I guess you have to take that at face value. Um, but I do think there's been an element of, you know, Avram and Joel thinking, OK, we could be onto something here with Ten Hag. And Avram's been at the Women's FA Cup final um, at the weekend. He was at the Carabao Cup final. You're sort of thinking, is he going to show up at the FA Cup final? You know, it would, wouldn't be a surprise, would it, now if he did do? Um, so there's that element to it. Um, if but- he still owns the club. Well, that's it. I mean, I mean, the, this the, the March thirtieth for success. Now, that's what I think has happened. He's, he's had one League Cup final. Like, oh, silverware! Is this what it feels like? Well, there is though the story that he was in Moscow in two thousand and eight, um, and he fell over and celebrated, and he, he fell on Ed Woodward. You know, they were all celebrating in the crowd, Champions League. So he, he has known, you know, even bigger success. And there's photos of that. Um, but I do feel like, I mean, Rain were the ones that said they wanted to kind of wrap it up the, in the first quarter of, of this year. I think everybody looking at the situation thought that was very optimistic. And anybody that knows how the Glazers make their decisions, they take a long time. I've called them the glacial siblings previously uh, because of that. Um, are you liking that one, Ian? No, you're not, you're not sure about that one. Okay. Um, I'm having it. That's a good one. That. I'm having it. It got, it got a mild pop from me. <laughs> Um, it knows that they're going to string this thing out. You know, they take ages. So, yeah, I'd love it to be end of the season sorted. I think all the football staff would, but it's still uncertain. Yeah, this situation's got Laurie sounded a little bit like Kevin Keegan. That shows you just how strained it was and how late it was up till last night. Anyway, for the very latest on the potential takeover of Manchester United, I can't believe how many times I've said this sentence. Go to The Athletic, go and have a look at the latest on there. It will be updated as the news breaks over the coming weeks, months, years decades however long it takes but remember if you're not a subscriber there is an offer on at the moment 199 a month for the first 12 months just go to theathletic.com forward slash man united pod this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, I'm delighted to say we're joined by a very special guest now on Talk of the Devils. It's the England international cricketer, Sam Billings. Sam, you're the captain of the Oval Invincibles. You're a big Manchester United fan. But most importantly, I hear you're a big Talk of the Devils listener as well. I am, uh, for my sins, lads. But um, you. No, I love it. You guys do a great job. And obviously, I'm like any normal sports fan, huge United fan and um, yeah, just just love following the club. So it's nice for me not being a player, obviously in football, but I am absolutely a massive fan. Bless you, Sam. Thank you for listening. Um, can I ask then, can you paint the picture for us? Where do you normally listen to us? Where, where, where are you sat? What are you doing? Are you travelling? Are you playing? What are you doing? So the life of a cricketer now is pretty much 12 months a year and I either spend a lot of time on a plane or uh, in the car. So uh, normally that's when I listen to the podcast, um, if I'm honest. So a lot of travelling. Obviously our season's just started, but I was last home end of October via kind of a little trip to Barcelona. I went to that away leg in the Europa League with my old man. But yeah, through my travels, it's, it's just obviously um, whack the headphones in and uh, listen to the important stuff. Can I just chip in there, Ian? Because you said whilst you're playing. Do you think he's at the crease, you know, with well, talking devils in his ears? You know what I mean. Might help me. <laughs> Might be waiting to go into bat or something like that. You can Might there, fall asleep when Andy starts one of his stories. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no phones. Uh, We're not allowed phones at games and stuff. So um, always on a plane, in the car, whack it on and, and, and away you go. And you mentioned Barcelona there, Sam. I just wondered, yeah, how do you balance all the cricket that you've got throughout the year with managing to go to the United games? I saw you were at the Spurs game as well away. Yeah, I was actually in the home end. I got invited to that by ah, a friend of mine. Nice. And uh, especially when Sancho's goal was scored about 20 yards in front of me, I had to give it that one. <laughs> yeah, very quietly, but... It's, it's the stuff you kind of miss, actually. It's the mundane things where you do with your mates. You go to the football, you watch the football, you go to the pub. Um, those are the kind of stuff you miss as a sportsman now uh, when you're travelling the world half the year. The time difference element does make it difficult to watch the games, especially around the IPL, PSL. The games finish so late, so uh, you end up uh, working out pretty well. So, uh, yeah, I watch as much as I can. And then when I do get the opportunity, it was a pretty special trip took my dad, my cousin and my uncle, the four of us went to Barcelona and I reckon they mention it about 40 times that the last time they were at the new camp was in 99 and they forgot to take us. So, um, yeah, it was it was amazing and uh, yeah, I, I just love it. I absolutely love football and watch as much as I can. Was that the highlight of the season for you then, Barcelona? Personally, because of the atmosphere and the whole experience, um, it would have been great and I think we deserved a win but... Yeah, because you're going with your old man as well. It just takes you back to being a kid. That's why you kind of get into football. That's why you kind of get into any sport. I think it's that bonding. And yeah, they're the kind of 
the kind of moments you you live for, really. Like I said, I just it takes you back uh, back to your younger days, which is always good. I read Sam that your cricket heroes were Sachin Tendulkar, Adam Gilchrist, and later on AB de Villiers. What about your football heroes, your United heroes, and have you ever met any of them? Haven't met enough of them. Uh, Rio follows me on Twitter, and that's that's uh, my shameless name drop. Um, I wear the number seven purely because of David Beckham, Eric Cantona. That's my squad number all around the world. Um, United, number seven, iconic. And I tried... Has he done you better than our lads in recent times or what? I know, exactly. You know, maybe it's a sign. I still have a recurring dream, scoring a goal in front of the Stretford end and celebrating in the corner flag. But, yeah, unfortunately, I don't think that's my shirt. Um, anyway. Weren't you quite a good um, footballer as a kid, Sam? Was there ever a decision to be made there? I was, I was never good enough to make it, but I tell everyone how good I am. Um, <laughs> no, I, I scored... Well, I played a lot of like club football growing up and we played uh, for a club. My, my grandfather actually set up an amateur football club that's still going. And yeah, played, we played all the uh, academies, QPR, Charlton, Gilliam, Tottenham as well. So I scored a hatchery against Tottenham as a 12-year-old, I think it was. And... Yeah, there was talk about trial and stuff like that, but I was never good enough. Cricket was always kind of my best sport. Um, but warm-up football every morning uh, for cricketers is the highlight of my week. And um, that was me in the morning. That gets me out of bed every morning is the, uh, is the 20 minutes of warm-up football. How many teenagers do you think would choose cricket over football these days, Sam? Not enough. Um, I think, obviously, that's the challenge for cricket, ultimately, is, um, well everything is competing with football and nothing will ever win because purely the popularity, especially in this country, uh, the accessibility to football and, um, yeah, the, the natural draw. But cricket, I think, hopefully, it's changing its image and changing its perception around it, making it far more inclusive. The access to it is far, far easier. And, and look, you can make a real career out of it. You can travel the world. And the great thing about cricket is you follow the sunshine. So, uh, so yeah, you get out of wet Manchester and you follow the sunshine around. But, yeah, cricket, you can make an amazing... Well, you can have an amazing life from, from playing all around the world now and the opportunities are endless. The money in the game has gone through the roof. So, hopefully, the draw for a lot of kids is if football is not the not the main sport for you, the, um, then cricket can be. And, and that's ultimately what... What guys like myself and, and everyone involved in cricket is trying to do, make it far more accessible to everyone. Do you think the 100 has helped in that regard then? You're obviously back for a third summer with Oval Invincibles. Do you sense that the younger crowd has been attracted to the game? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, it's peak summer, school holidays, uh, making it shorter and sharper. I think everyone nowadays with social media and everything is, you know, that attention span of lasting five days watching cricket is, is to a certain type of crowd. And that's the great thing about cricket is we've got three, four, five different formats that hopefully can attract every single person into cricket and that, that's the aim. But the 100 has definitely brought more families into, into the game, um, packed houses at the Oval every single, every single game we have um, has been amazing to be a part of. So yeah, hopefully we can just continue to build on that. Um, as, and as players, it's about leaving the game in a better place and, and trying to influence people positively uh, for the next generation. If we can do that as, as players, then that can only be a good thing. Brilliant, Sam. We know that you are a listener to Talk of the Devils, like we were saying before. So we know, you know you'll know about Andy and the fact that he has a, a story for every single thing that you ever mention on the earth. Well, we've actually <laughs> found out a new 
a new little talent he's got as well. Whichever guests we have on, he seems to have some sort of social connection to them. Isn't that right, Andy? With Sam? Oh, you've asked a good one here. Definitely. Easy. Sam, do you know... Easy. Sam, do you know anyone in my family? I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm godfather to... I don't know what relation, but uh, godfather to one of the kids. So, um, yeah, I, I go up to Manchester a lot to see the family and... Carl has been a great mate of mine. So he was married, well, he is married, sorry, to, to Holly, uh, who was my nanny as a kid. And I am now godfather <laughs> to the youngest, uh, yeah, youngest, who, um, yeah, great little boy, loves his cricket and loves his football. So Carl is my first cousin. Carl sold United We Stand and obviously goes to lots of Manchester United games. So Carl's wife, my cousin's wife, was your nanny. Yeah, Holly. Yeah, when I was probably, yeah, three years old. So, yeah, it's bizarre. Small world, isn't it, lads? Well, it is when Andy Mitten's involved. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's dad was um, the, the kit man for, for Wigan Athletic, Dave. Yeah. And he used to stand behind Roberto Martinez. And Dave's an Andy feller. He can look after himself. And Roberto Martinez is pretty diminutive. And I'd, I'd see him on the telly like Wigan going to Arsenal away and the Arsenal bench getting a bit full of it and Dave Dave Mitten would just stand up and be like do you want it he just stood up right behind him but I remember when uh when his son met your nanny he said ah oh, Carl's met an absolute beauty from Kent <laughs> there we go and there's another belt of a story from Andy absolutely he just keeps delivering doesn't he Let, let's finish this off then Sam I'll just ask you a few last questions about United really before you came on you said you could talk all day about Lissandro Martinez and Casimiro are they the two the two favourites of yours at the moment I am a massive fan of Bruno as well um, Casimiro oh what what a player I mean obviously you know last couple of weeks you know I think the workload on all the players it's shown in terms of the squad but yeah, Lissandro Martinez has clearly been a huge miss. Um, and I just love... It's the personality, I think. You've got to have personality to play for the biggest football club, the best football club in the world, of course. And um, those two have it in abundance. And I think that's what's, what's really shown. It, it means a lot to play for the club. And, um, yeah, they're just kind of born winners, aren't they? Coming, obviously, from Ajax and Real Madrid. Um, yeah, it's just in their veins, I suppose. So those two I'm huge fans of. Um Bruno, I think, has shown in the last few weeks as well. I, I've been fighting his corner. I think a few of you follow me on Twitter and have to listen to my garbage on there. But um, I've been <laughs> fighting... giving Laurie a bit, aren't you? Yeah, I've been fighting Bruno's corner for, for years because people forget how, how much of a difference he made when he initially came to the side and the impact he made and realised what player he is when we do miss him or he's, he's run out of gas. And, um, I mean straight away the amount of games he's played and has never got injured it's just a phenomenal record and yeah greatness is always always has to have an element of longevity and consistency and he's got that um i'm excited for the summer as well hopefully um some investment and um just to kind of really bolster that midfield and obviously a number nine um uh, which splits opinion but yeah if it was me i'd just get two but i play football manager don't i so there you go <laughs> What's it like, Sam, playing at the other Old Trafford? I love it. It was my first uh, International 100. It's red everywhere as well, so it feels like home. 
yeah, I got 100 against the Aussies there, so it's always going to be a special place for me. And it was probably meant to be, wasn't it? It was unfortunately a performance at the wrong out of Trafford for me, but um, <laughs> no, I, I love out there. And, and I think as a city as well, just it's, it's, such, an, it's such an awesome city. It's such a uh, great place to, to visit. And obviously with the rivalry now with the noisy neighbours, and they will always be the noisy neighbours, yeah, it's, it's going to be even better when, when hopefully we can really keep building on, on this year. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to, to more games if, if I can do. Um, and, yeah, I love it. On that theme, Sam, like what's it like when a new manager or a new coach in cricket comes into the side and wants to instil kind of new disciplines? You know, so I'm, I'm thinking of Ericsson Hag here, obviously, and, you know, what, what, what have you made of what he's done this season? And you mentioned characters there. It seems like that's been a big... Uh, part of his philosophy to try and sign these kind of personalities that can really cope with playing at Old Trafford? Yeah, so I, I kind of take it back and, and from an individual and personal point of view. So a cricket captain probably has more influence on a team than any other sport um, because you make tactical decisions. You kind of are the manager at times during games and you have to make those split-second decisions. And so you realise the skills that uh, are applicable into other sports as well, that... You know, you, you're dealing with human beings and different personalities and getting the best out of those people is paramount to the team's success. Um, the, the one consistent thing of every, every team, it doesn't matter what sport it is, is having that collective purpose and that collective vision. If people aren't pulling in the right, right same direction, sorry, in the right direction, um, you, you're going to struggle. It doesn't matter how good the players are. So I think that's, that's been the most striking thing. He's come in, he's got a clear vision of, of what he wants to get out of the side and, and the personalities, like you said, um, in the team. And I think it's incredibly exciting. No, no one had us even in the top four this year, did they? So um, fingers crossed. Well, I'm, I'm com- confident we're, we're going to breeze, breeze that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's the exciting thing. I think he's been a breath of fresh air and absolutely 100% a Man United manager and kind of the new era. It's exciting. Of course, there's going to be ups and downs, but that's, that's any sport. That, that is just reality. And uh, as fans, we can get so fickle and you've got to remind yourself of that sometimes. That You know, it's a long season. We play more football than any other team in Europe, I think, still. So it's on a, on a pretty on a squad that he's inherited mostly I think he's been phenomenal and and long may it continue for me Excellent Sam it's been absolutely brilliant to have you on the podcast thank you so much for coming on we've got a lot to look forward to as Manchester United fans and hopefully you've got a great summer to look forward to too as well Perfect appreciate it lads and I'll speak to you soon Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? 
FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Well, that was fun with Sam, wasn't it? Andy, how on earth do you know all these people? It's actually ridiculous now. <laughs> how can I answer that? I'm from a big family. I've done what I do for a long time. You, but, I mean, that, that was just a mad one, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, my dad was one of nine, and all my family are pretty much footballers. So, I don't know. But it was still a mad one. I didn't, I didn't know before we spoke to Sam that my first cousin's wife was his nanny. But I do now. <laughs> it's so random, so, isn't it? Look, at, before this, right at the start of this podcast, you said you talk to a lot of people. And I've seen you out on a European away game. And where most newer journalists might be staring at their phone, looking at Google Maps, trying to figure out the way the stadium is. Yeah, basically. I'm like glued to Twitter. He's just going left and right, bobbing and weaving. If he sees anything interesting, like, you okay? Boom, straight. I'm Andy. How you doing? Well, there's an old building. <laughs> <laughs> That's a life, Andy, it's isn't it? It's a life. It's a life, boys. I'm sure that's not going to be the end of Andy's tales. Anyway, Sam was talking to us as part of the media launch for cricket's newest competition, the 100. He's going to be the captain, as we said at the top of that, of the Oval Invincibles in 2023, like he's been in recent times. The 100 runs throughout the whole of August, and Old Trafford, cricket ground, of course, is the home of the Manchester Originals. For more information on how to buy tickets, visit the100.com. Decent day out, it's the 100. It's, uh, if you've ever been to T20... Get to 100. Nice, especially for the women's cricket game as well. Really, really good day out. Super. Oh, that could be six. That is six. Bang. I'll tell you what, that was going at a rate of knots. Sam Billings. Right, quite the weekend in store for Manchester United again. We've had a break this week, haven't we? We've, we've come down to New Century, of course, to fill the time. More details on the live shows coming up at the end of the show, how to buy tickets and everything else. But we need to preview a huge weekend for both the men's and women's team. The women face a Manchester derby with their title hopes on the line in the WSL. And of course, the men, Andy, are off to your favourite place on earth. Bournemouth, I've got a Bournemouth and I've not got a ticket and I'm going to a derby game on Sunday and I've not got a ticket for that one either. So it is hoping. He's on the scrounge here, isn't he? We know your game, Andy. Nah, I'll be sorted out. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be sorted out. This is why he walks around going, you're okay, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> We've worked for, it out, haven't we? Always looking for a little favour. Right, Manchester United need to beat Bournemouth end off because Liverpool keep winning and Bournemouth are not uh, they're safe. The results have not been great. I know they've had some, I know they beat Liverpool at home last month, but look at the recent home results. He got beat 4 0 at home to West Ham. Manchester United cannot be losing against a team who've been beaten 4-0 at home to West Ham. They beat Leeds United 4-1, okay. They lost at home to Chelsea. They lost last week to Palace. United have got to do one of their 1-0 specials in the league's smallest ground until Luton Town come up. We can talk about Luton another time. We can talk about football grounds anytime you want, boys. I think we all agree it's a, it, it is a must-win because Liverpool look like they're going to carry on winning. What really makes me laugh there is... You first started complimenting Bournemouth before going on all their bad results. But you cannot help yourself. <laughs> I know. Bit of a mixed bag there. Andy, what's Bournemouth's capacity? Uh, about 10,500, mate. You can ask me Ask me any of the 92, mate. I'll give it a good shot. I reckon 10 years ago, I could name the average crowd of all 92 league clubs for that given week. And obviously, I didn't use that as a chat-up line. I bet you did. Might have done. 
What did you use as a chat line? <laughs> that that can be off the record, boys, for another time. That can be for the live show, can't it? Look, look listen. <laughs> Save it for the N- live name, show. Name any ground and I'll tell you the capacity. I could even draw it. Any ground, any of the 92. I reckon I could give it a good shot. I could even draw it, yeah. I think you're going to have to sketch some up and put them on Twitter to oh, prove it. Do. Name any ground. Well, didn't we get a question? I'm trying to think whose name it was, but we got a question on our email address. Uh, Forest Green Rovers. Yeah, that's about five and a half thousand. Their average this season's about 3,200. Charlie Savage is there. I went, I went there to watch them play against Burton Albion in December. Next. The, the thing is, he could be saying anything here. We, can, can we Google this? Can we check it? Coventry. That's an odd one. It holds 32,000. It's the Rico Arena. They've had loads of disputes with the landlords. They had a crowd of over 30,000 for the last two matches against Middlesbrough and against Birmingham City. I'd say they're at about 19,000 on their average crowd, but that is an odd one because they've played, they've, they've moved crowds of uh, grounds a few times. Carl's obviously sent you a curveball with that one, but he's just fact-checked on Forest Green. Is he right? Capacity is 5,147. Hey! 2,000 seats. He's, he's done it. <laughs> Any of the random ones? We could do this all day. Um... Mansfield Town. Mansfield Town, Field Mill. My Uncle Charlie used to be the manager there before leaving for Newcastle United. I'll have a pick one that's a mitten link. It's, it's, it's a three-sided ground. It used to have a beautiful main stand, an Art Deco one, no less, but they destroyed that. They rebuilt it at the start of the 90s. They've had a good season this year. They fell away at the end. I'd say their average is 4,500, and I'd say it holds 9,000. Right, Carl's going to look it up very quickly. Hang on. What? <laughs> Art Deco ground. Main stand. You're looking it up? Uh, uh, what am I looking up? You can't, can't even type now. <laughs> Mansfield Town. Okay. I said it holds nine. Capacity 9,186. Yeah, that is, that's, a, that's a good one, that. This has got weird, hasn't we it? We need to do a Talk of the Devil's pub quiz. And then we'll just have a section on stadiums. And it's like, can you beat the boss? Which is Andy Miller. He's the chaser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, let's get back to the football then. Um, do we need to preview Bournemouth anymore? I mean, I think we can all agree that it's a must-win for United with the situation in the top four. The away record this year has simply not been good enough, but we are decent against teams towards the bottom of the league away from home, so we'll probably win 1-0. That seems to be the theme of the away matches, doesn't it? I'm very wary of saying anything negative against Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth are doing really well. I think shared a video on social media where they just clipped up everyone who said at the start, everyone at the start of the season who said they're going straight back down. Uh, got clipped up uh, and uh, yeah Bournemouth are making a rate hard and so I'm not going to predict any other result no okay I think you're wise can we predict the result of the Manchester derby in the WSL Andy huge game big game I think the women's team have got to get back on it after that defeat at Wembley I mean a draw is not actually a terrible result for Manchester United but if Chelsea keep winning I'd love Chelsea to lose that game at Arsenal and Manchester United just to carry on winning the league matches it's going to be the biggest crowd I think at Lee Sports Village and Manchester City I know they've not had the perfect season and they've made some changes there but a win against Manchester City would be significant in what's been a really significant season for the women's team Where do you see that game being won and lost Andy because like you say City are a very good side they're the ones who look vulnerable in the top three chase for Champions League and I think if United get a point that confirms their place in the Champions League for next season. I've not seen enough of Manchester City's women's team to highlight them. I read the interview the other day with the new person who, who's come in saying 
they've not joined the dots this season. That's why they've fallen away. So this was a team that at the start of the season were expected to compete for the league title. They've been one of the preeminent forces. Big game for Myla Tizzi. Tizzi was really good in the first half at Wembley, trying to keep Sam Kerr out of it. She would follow Kerr deep into Chelsea half, making sure Kerr wouldn't turn on the ball. Kerr finished first half with nine touches of the ball, but it was like half a fraction of a second where she lost Kerr that eventually opened up that goal that Chelsea won. I think Letizia's fantastic. She's probably going to be one of the starting centre-backs for England at this World Cup. So if she can do what needs to be done against City's forwards, Bunny Shaw has been fantastic, but I'm not quite sure about her form at the moment. Um, that would be big. And also, Rachel Williams off the bench could have a really big role for Manchester United. Alyssa Russo, she likes to come short and receive defeat, which works against the majority of the teams in the Super League. But sometimes you need a bit of variance, which very often means Williams comes off the bench and does things. I expect Nikita Paris to start for United as well. You sent us that report from Wembley, which was in the last podcast. I'm sure people have heard that. But what was it like? I didn't have a chance to ask you. What was the atmosphere like? It was a world record crowd for a domestic women's game. It, it seemed special. It was special. It's a very interesting. It was something 7,000 people. But for a three-minute period, they were all doing the Mexican wave. Oh, Exactly. That's the response. In that it was it was amazing, it was good natured. If you went to any of the Euros games, you will understand what sort of crowd it was. I did expect a little bit more vitriol, but perhaps that's me being a horrible, sarcastic, hate-filled figure. <laughs> it is United and Chelsea. It is United and Chelsea. Chelsea fans were, were very, very loud. And I just thought I did want one attack, 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 attack chant from United Faithful. But that again, me being hate-filled. Not a criticism. <laughs> fair enough. I think Hatefield, I was expecting more from you. Attack, attack, attack is a fairly anodyne uh, chant, I would say. I thought you wanted like people to clamber over the partitions and start you know, going at it. We've, we've seen matches you know, with that kind of atmosphere at, at Wembley before, uh, which probably we shouldn't touch on too much. But I don't know, I, I kind of quite, yeah, it, that's good to have those kind of, that variance of an audience, I suppose, from the men's to women's game so that people can get different experiences out of it. Absolutely. And... I think every single, you know, every single person who went to Wembley will come back from that game going, that was a great day out. And it really was. And it really felt like something special. I went through the photographs this morning. I took my phone and it just looks amazing. I will say there was something quite uh, foreboding looking at a disappointed Ella Toon stare at the Chelsea team. You're like, oh, she's going to have a really big next couple of games between now and the end of the season. Fingers crossed. Good luck to them, definitely. Remember, whatever happens in that match and the game at Bournemouth for the men this weekend, we'll have all the best preview and review on The Athletic. Right, that's it for Talk of the Devils. But before we go, we need to remind you that we're very excited to say that our live shows are relaunching for ticket sales once again. We're in Manchester here at New Century on Monday, the 4th of September. And we also have a London date as well, which is the day after on Tuesday, September the 5th at the Leicester Square Theatre. Absolutely fantastic. To book tickets and to get more info, head to myticket.co.uk and we'll see you next time on Talk of the Devils. We'd absolutely love to see you at the live shows. Please get involved. Please come down and see us. It'd be great to meet you. We've got a Q&A as well with the lads too so we can put your questions to them. But that's for September. For now, thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you, Carl. Bye-bye.
Oh, this is this is a dream come true. This is an honour, lads. <laughs> so that's good. Perfect. Looking forward to it. Because you only got 10 minutes, Sam, is that right? No. Well, <laughs> this is highlight so, my Sam day, would, Sam would speak about Man United <laughs> much for about much four hours, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> 20, 20, lads. We'll get on to Lissandro Martinez and Casemiro. Oh, we're, we're all over it. The Athletic.